Hello, and welcome to the Pondering Theologian podcast. I am the host, Nathaniel. I uh, I've been gone for a little while. It's been close to a month since the last upload, and I do I uh, want to apologize in part, and also just let you all know that I am still here and still alive. I had been away, um, mostly studying for. Uh, ordination exams in the Presbyterian Church USA, which I am a member of and uh, seeking ordination in, uh, you have to take uh, a bunch of exams to test your readiness before you can be ordained. And there are five of them, of which I took all of them last month, and they are all quite a bit taxing and time-consuming. So I do apologize about the gap in episodes, but they are done for now, and hopefully we'll be back to our previous regularly scheduled program. So with that, I have several episodes that will be coming out like they used to, at least once a week, and uh, we'll get into that today with one of my favorite topics, which is coming at things more from a philosophical or theological lens, I am going to be talking about appealing to the consequence. And uh, we're going to be looking at an interaction with Jesus, um, and we'll also be reading something from Romans, which I'll read here in a moment. And as we go through today, I would encourage you to uh, take some notes and write down some of the stuff that sticks out to you and uh, reflect on them later. As always, as we get to the end, I'll pose a couple questions for you to really dig into. Um, but at least in the beginning part of this episode, there will be some philosophical concepts that I'm going to hit kind of quick and fast. But if you are interested, I encourage you to look them up later and I will link to another podcast that is uh, perhaps one of my favorite philosophy podcasts and um, then a list as well to what we will look at at least in part which is fallacies and i'll get into more of that in a little while but that uh that podcast is called philosophize or philosophize this and uh, I'll link that down below. But without further ado, let's look at our scriptures for this episode. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, and then Matthew 18, 21 through 35. So first from Romans. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome them, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes they may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is because, or it is before their own master that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld the Lord is able to make them stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. 
Each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since they gave thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to themselves, and none of us dies to themselves. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your sibling? Or you, why do you despise them? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of themselves to God. And then from Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe! So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do, ev do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your sibling from your heart. So, in the world of philosophy, and some extent uh, theology, there is this whole subset of study dedicated to arguments, apologetics, and fallacies. Fallacies are a, a failure in reasoning which renders an argument invalid or you know, faulty reasoning, misleading or unsound arguments. There has been so much time on examining, debating, picking apart, and debunking fallacies that there are radio hours, podcasts, books, journals, studies, and so much more dedicated to just arguments and the types of fallacies, and how uh, one can recognize them when someone else is talking. And often we see them in examining things like court cases, seeing what the lawyers are appealing to in their examinations and defenses, because we all have 
reasoning skills to some extent, it is how we justify or condemn actions. We all use some form of fallacy, though, in how we approach an argument, generally speaking. And to clarify, I don't mean that we're all using these as a way to deceive others, uh, because philosophy is complicated and a logical puzzle, which leads to the other fun, complicated part of arguments and fallacies, which is that there can be good uses of these fallacies or approaches to arguments. And again, uh, the podcast by uh, Stephen West uh, philosophized this has a great uh, two-part episode series on this that I'll link down below. Um, But I'll give you some example here. Uh, I have always been a very curious person, and that involves a lot of taking things apart to see how they work. Uh, In my pockets right now, I have uh, multi-tools that I use quite regularly just to take apart broken things or things on the side of the road because I'm intrigued. Um, And there is, uh, there's been good and bad things that have come from that. I worked in a kitchen in my early 20s, and when we had uh, dead time, and I had all the work I could think of caught up, I would tinker. Um, So one particular day I had gone to a shop and bought a disposable camera and was taking it apart because I was curious. And I was go, as as I was going about it, the supervisor for that day came by to tell me that I probably ought to stop because I was going to shock myself. Now, as a young man, this was more received uh, as a challenge than a warning. As I focused in, they passed by about three more times, letting me know that I needed to stop because I was going to shock myself. They were appealing to the consequence that I was going to shock myself cause some pain or the like if I didn't stop. Now, we all know people who are quite good at something. Some of them could take apart complex, charged electrical systems without getting hurt. Um, And I thought I was one. So this warning, this reported consequence was not guaranteed. But in the attempt to care for me and probably not have to fill out strange Uh, incident paperwork, the supervisor was appealing to the consequence of what would happen if I did not stop. So not always are these things we called fallacies bad, but they are a way of looking more closely at what's going on around us. And I did shock myself, by the way, I discharged the whole camera's battery, bit my tongue pretty good if you've never been shocked, uh, causes the muscles to all seize up. I welded my pocket knife to this uh, circuit board and blew the stainless steel countertop in this professional kitchen. So perhaps that appeal was something I ought to have paid more attention to. In the uh, reading from Matthew, Jesus goes into one of these logical argument types in his parable. One in uh, the field of fallacies could label Jesus' logic here as an appeal to the consequence. That is to say, we could look at this parable and ask, uh, what is Jesus doing? Why is Jesus showing us the punishment for this servant's actions? And the answer here could be, um, you know, when you do something wrong, when your actions are evil, it will come back to haunt you. You will face the consequence for what you have done. 
Beyond that yet, there is a deeper meaning. The, the, this teaching is showing that forgiveness needs to be absolute. It needs to be complete. It needs to have this chain effect whereby we talk about what happened, examined it, and then let it go. That is what it mentions in the very end. You need to forgive from your heart. Well, why? And, and the answer is because that is what the triune God did for us. It dying on the cross to absolve us from sins. God forgave us just as the ruler did in this parable. And let's look back at the start of this parable. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Now, seven by itself is an interesting number. In the Hebrew, uh, the language of the Israelites and the Jewish people, it is an alphanumeric language. So in the Hebrew alphabet, each letter has a corresponding numeric value. Each of this then beyond that have different symbolisms that they hold. And the number seven is one that represents completion. And if we look back in the First Testament, there is uh, very important numerical systems of the laws and celebrations. Every seven years is to be what's called a Sabbath year. So this is where you let um, like a grain field rest. If you've ever been around uh, old-timey farmers and you've ever heard them talk about a, a Sabbath year for their field, uh, this is where it comes from. Every seventh Sabbath year now is what is called the year of Jubilee. So seven times seven, every 50 years essentially is this jubilee in which uh, is an important time within the laws and the community of the Israelite people. So we get 70 or seven times seven to get to this jubilee year and this an economic, cultural, environmental, and communal rest. Everything rests. It's the cycle is complete. All those who are in slavery are set free, debts are forgiven, land returned to who it belonged to previously. It is an important time for all these people. This seven times seven, this year of Jubilee, is an important part of the heritage of the Jewish people. So now we have this interesting situation. Peter has offered to Jesus the question, should I forgive seven times? The perfect number, the completion number. Uh, number. And Jesus responds with 77 times. Perhaps this is an illustration calling back to the year of Jubilee. Uh, I believe that there is something here that makes this illustrative story Jesus is telling you just a little more tangible, a little more powerful to the listeners of that day than perhaps we generally understand. But it's not just complete, uh, complete forgiveness in seven times, but much deeper than that. So not only are we supposed to have complete forgiveness, which in itself is difficult, but the example in this story is one that expands beyond just us to forgive many things. And the way that Jesus shares this definitely highlights that we have this um, 
this servant who was forgiven. They pleaded with their master and they were forgiven out of compassion rather than be sold into slavery and their children and wife taken from them and, and all of their possessions and divvied out to repay this debt. This master forgives him. And then the servant goes out and seizes, it says, his fellow servant and refuses to forgive them when they plead for it. And they throw him into debtor's prison. And there are several things that are important for us to ask ourselves as we work to understand this story. The first and foremost is, do we believe Jesus? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that there is something at the end of this life that holds us accountable for what we do? This story illustrates what Jesus does for us, and I, I do say does because we know that we continue to do things in our own ways that are sinful, but Jesus died to forgive all who had sinned, all who were sinning, and all who will sin. It's still an action, and in this story Jesus is an example, or God rather, of the master, the ruler. However it's translated in the Bible that you might look this up. The person in charge who forgave first. And so we have Jesus who forgives the debts and sins of the person in this story. And after receiving forgiveness, graciously mind you, total forgiveness of all debts and without strings, this person is forgiven, just like you and me. Now after this, this person, the servant went and started to abuse another person, someone who owed them a debt. Believe me, this is us anytime we do not forgive. This is you and I every time we hold a grudge, that we hold something over someone's head. Every single time that we use something against another, we are just like this servant that is abusing another. And after that servant couldn't pay, the first condemned them to prison. And I use the word condemned here intentionally because how can you pay a debt or correct a wrong if you are cut off? locked away and held back from being able to do this. The second person could never repay their own debt if they could not work for it. This would not only condemn them, but their family, those that depended on them. When we condemn others in the way that we treat them, or the way in which we ostracize them, or groups of people and how we stereotype them, we do the same. Consider that we still hold medieval stereotypes about Jewish people that are not accurate but that allow for anti-Semitism to still be on the rise. We do this to ethnic groups, to people of lower socioeconomic situations, those in other political groups. We condemn people to fall under the shadows we cast. The others saw what had happened this, the whole time, from the beginning, being forgiven, uh, to assaulting and condemning this other servant. The others were concerned, rightfully so, this is all of those around us who observe us say we're Christians, let's see our um, K-Love or Family Life Radio, uh, whatever Christian radio station that's in your area, bumper sticker, and that sees us walk into church and then watches us yell at the server at lunch or chew at the cashier at the grocery store, belittle the clerk at the gas station, or here's our gossip as we move around. Amongst many things, the eyes of the world are upon us when we claim to be forgiven and follow in the path of Jesus. And I hope you can see where we're going here. The end of this story 
that is meant to be the end of times. That is when we are supposed to account for what we have done. Jesus is appealing to the consequence of the end of our lives. We may see natural consequences in this life for things that we do, but we will not understand or experience a true consequence until we have to go give an account to God for what we have done. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the words that he's saying here? Do you believe that there is some consequence waiting for us at the end of this? I said there are several questions for us to consider. The first one is the most important because if you don't, then you don't believe that in some way Jesus is telling the truth. Jesus is not leading you in the way that we ought to go. Make no mistake, dear people of God, we are the Lord's creation. We live and die as ones created in the image of God, and not just us, but everyone. We do not live to ourselves, we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that we might, or he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers or sisters? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God, so that each of us will be accountable to God. We are all accountable to God. So, dear people of God, do you believe Jesus is telling us some false truth here? In this parable, do you believe that God has absolved us of our sins? And not just us, but those around us. If the answer is yes, then we ought to do the same for the least of these. For those both inside and outside the doors of wherever you worship. Salvation and forgiveness by the grace of God is what we live in. The answer is no, do not believe Jesus, and you're not following Christ's example very well. You are living of your own understanding and not God's. So I implore you today, not tomorrow, if you're like me, you'll forget. Today, ask yourself, do you believe Jesus Christ? Do you believe his, his illustrative story? Do you believe in this appeal to the consequence? If you do, then you believe in the absoluteness of forgiveness. So, this is a long way to get to the next question, which is, who have you not forgiven? For we all must examine if we live by Christ's words. But I implore you, do not be the judgmental servant. For we will have much to answer for, and the consequences will be ones that you will answer for. There is, as always, so much more that we could dig into and so much more that we could say, but we are going to end it here for today. I would love to hear your thoughts and opinions on this episode as we get back into our regularly scheduled program, so to speak. In the episode description and the show notes, there is the contact for the podcast. You can reach out on social media or over through the email. 
Whatever way, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or as we are starting things back up, what you would like to hear covered on the podcast. So please reach out. As always, I hope that you are doing well. Know that God loves you so very much. There is nothing that you or anyone else can do about that. And we'll see you in the next episode.